You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, before we start this episode, uh, we want to think of anyone and everyone who might be listening to the podcast and just put out this warning. There is a brief discussion of suicide within the context of a larger discussion here. And we just want to make sure that was known going in. And by the way, the suicide and crisis lifeline number has been changed. It's now 988. Hello, Bill Walton. Oh, coming in hot with music. Sorry. We enjoyed the music. We just weren't allowed to play it. No, I got it. I was just creating a vibe. I, I know I look stupid, but man. You look great. I like the background. It just led to a question of mine. You only have one question? I didn't really prepare because, you know, what's the point? We're already here. What's the point? Let's, are we rolling? I'm ready to go if you are. <clears throat> one last tip. Hold on. So I'm. I'm. you're going to hear me introduce you. It's a little bit of a story I'm going to tell, then I'll bring you. No, don't even waste time with an introduction. I know. It's not an interview. The story I have to tell. It's one of the greatest stories in my life. So you bring it back into the show. Oh, at the top of the show, I say, here's a little story about my guest, then I bring the guest. Oh, you mean I got to wait? Man, this is yeah, like... so you're going to want to talk. Arr, arr. Are we ready? Here we go. So I didn't prepare any questions from the next guest who's already making noise. There was specific instructions. I'm going to tell a little story about you. Then you'll come into the show. There's a chance I get off like two questions. So why the hell write any down, right? I did put down a couple notes. So one of my favorite things in my my time at ESPN was my interactions with Bill Walton, legendary. Um, and I started by asking him for advice about my ankle because you should know I have a ruined ankle. I have a website called runfreely.org. We help veterans. Bill has had some injuries as well. He's given me some advice, which was appreciated. So I would occasionally send him an email and he'd write back in just resplendent fashion. So there's one night, this is December of 2016. I say, Bill, my fiance's daughter's coach calls her Bill Walton because of her excellence in passing the basketball. I felt you should know this information. We wish you the very best day and life. X's and O's, right? Bill writes back, I love all things you. Thank you, Kenny. You are the best ever. Please let me know how I can ever help you. Good everything forever. Please tell your new daughter to shoot every time. That's how you get really good, and it opens up more and better passing lanes. With eternal love, gratitude, respect, admiration, appreciation, I remain your loyal and faithful servant. Thank you. Play on. I write back, 
Thanks always. I read your message as a poem and many people were moved. Be well. He writes back, you are my inspiration. Thanks for moving me brightly. Thank you for shining the light. Thanks for being the light. So after I left ESPN, the very next day, I went to San Diego with my daughter, Riley, to celebrate her graduation and, and the end of what I did with Gretchen. And we went to Bill Walton's house for dinner the very next night. And it's everything you think it would be. And he joins us now, Bill Walton. Arr. Do you have any questions for us? I find myself soaring like a pterodactyl high over the western edges of North America, Colorado, New Mexico, Wyoming, western Montana, Idaho, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, California, meet me on the burning shore. Somewhere over there is the coast, Oregon, Washington, here we go, the promised land flying high as can be. I just voted. I am an engaged citizen. I'm inspired as can be. We've got the Grateful Dead Summer Tour 2022 coming on. Bob Dylan is already on tour. We've got the Criterium de Dauphiné coming up, and we got the Tour de France on deck to wrap it all up at the end. What could be better? I'm here with my hero, Kenny Mayne. Arr! You and your family came for dinner. It was the highlight of my life. It's been a downhill slide ever since. I'm looking for that rising wind. Come on, come on, the rising wind. We're up around the bend. Help that me, please. Dinner. Bill gave me some life advice. We had a great meal and saw his compound. And I had made reference to our fourth daughter together, my technically my stepdaughter. And I mentioned my stepdaughter's really good at soccer. And Bill interrupts us, Kenny, you have four daughters. It's not where you've been. It's where you are. And where we're going. And where we're going yeah. is to the top of the mountain and beyond. I took it to heart. And to be able to explore the edge and to find the limits of what we're trying to do. Because when you can get there, when we look at all the greatness that we've been blessed with in, in our life and the opportunity to share that in the media, in the, on the stage, with our friends, with the band, uh, strangers. With all the different things that we've been able to do in our lives, we are truly the luckiest people on earth. And what I admire, respect, love, adore, and appreciate about my hero, Kenny Maine, is his mental acuity and his emotional commitment and the way he's able to deliver. And what I'm really sad about is that, well, you've been in our living room for, I'm going to say, 25 plus years, maybe more. I don't know. I've lost all track of time. I know what's happened, but I don't know when it happened. I know who was there. I know where it was. But I can never remember, like if it was last week or 30 years ago or 50 years <laughs> ago. But your ability to create and to imagine and to dream and to visualize and then be able to verbalize that and then to have that little smirk on your face and the twinkle in your eye and the turn up of the side of your mouth. I mean, you are John Wooden. That's what he did. I mean, we, we tried with everything we had to get Coach Wooden to acknowledge, to maybe say something about what we were doing, right? We were playing perfect. And it was all just rolling right along, just a freight train coming down the tracks, right? Nothing was going to derail us until the injuries and then the team chemistry fell apart and some issues that came up between uh, the coach and our key player. But he he here we were out there just playing 
with everything that we had and the only acknowledgement, the only recognition or credit we ever got was maybe, maybe the twinkle of an eye, one eye, and maybe the side of his mouth, one side only. And that is Kenny Mayne on the stage up there. And my biggest regret in life is that I never got to go to any of the upfronts. They don't, they don't invite me to things like that. <laughs> they keep me uh, at a safe distance from all the important people who are coming to the upfronts. The upfronts being, the, it's the once a year thing in New York and all the companies, all the networks roll out. They're good shows and they're good people and they try to get advertisers involved. Yeah. And, and, and who did they go to? They went to Kenny Mayne because Kenny Mayne could deliver the message. And that is the critical element of having sustained success. Just look at the world of sports that we have right now. I mean, this has been created from the early 80s, the remarkable, incredible, spectacular, empty the thesaurus harmonic convergence of about six different factors in no particular order. You got David Stern, the most important man in the history of basketball. You got Phil Knight, the most important man in the history of all sports. You've got Michael Jordan. You got David Falk. You got Jerry Buss, the greatest owner in the history of professional sports. And then you got ESPN all coming together. And who was the face of that ESPN? That was Kenny Mayne and that well, ability to get up there couple. on the stage and say, and tell us why we should join this incredible rocket ship that's just blasting through the universe. And as I continue to soar here and I come in over El Chaco and I come in over Taos and I come in over Santa Fe and I start thinking about Hampton Sides and, and, and blood and thunder. And then I think about Kit Carson and, and all the Indians up there in the front range of Colorado and Utah and all the different places. And I'm just looking for a landing spot right now. And fortunately, find I've that. been able to touch down momentarily with my claws. Just up in the sky, uh, floating right now. Right, so, floating. Hey, just want a minor correction of the record. Um, there were a few other people before I got there, not till 94. I was like a throwing. 14th round draft choice. But none of them. But I appreciate your nice comments. None of them. No, I'm talking about the start of the world of sports that we have. Now, I know you got there in the 90s. I know you're a big football star and you were throwing down, man. Uh, I, I was a, I was a, a, a Kellen Winslow type uh, football player. I was a Ray Nitschke and Junior Seau type uh, football player. And it, it, it was just awesome. But then I, I realized quickly that uh, basketball was basketball was the most perfect game of all. It's very well, much like drinking tequila. All you have to do is wait for the opening tip. You wait for the <laughs> opening sip, and then you're on your way. I, I've only met Mr. Wooden the one time. Is backstage at an event. I appreciate how somehow you likened me. But I was think was I there? Was I there? No, it was some event I was talking, and he happened to be there. So, um, and he mentioned. It was something curious he mentioned backstage. It was it was nice that he knew who I was. I was like touched by John Wooden. Like well, the so, amazing thing, how he knew all that stuff. He didn't have a TV. He had one little TV in his house. You know, he lived in the mansion on Margate, which was this condo and Encino just off the freeway, right, White Oak and Margate, and and, and it was a it was a condo in the in the flats of the valley, right, and so. The only TV he had was this little tiny black and white that was maybe the size of a normal laptop screen, right? So it was maybe 12 inches 
uh, diagonally across. You measure the television. And it had the rabbit ears, you know what the rabbit ears, right? I, I, sure. And so he, he, here it was, and he, he didn't take the newspaper, and but he knew everything because we'd show up there and, and, and we'd start the conversation and he would know everything about what had happened the day before. And I, I just don't know how he did it. He, he was like Kenny Mayne, clairvoyant. John Wooden. Um, yeah. one of, I he think was a rare and different dude. I don't, I don't think that I'm reserved in showing and giving appreciation. You were kind of saying that he didn't Wooden do that either. No, he, but I, but I definitely have stoicness in performance for sure. You're Epictetus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that whole concept of stoicism that Kareem has, and I, I'm totally different. I mean, I am, you let it out. Well, I, <laughs> I'm a deadhead, man. I, I, I'm with Bob Dylan. I'm out there. I'm with Neil Young. I'm, I, I'm with John Neil Everett, who was getting me going. I'm with Jimmy Cliff. I can't. I just, Jimmy has one of the biggest mistakes ever in my life, man. I'm at a Jimmy Cliff concert in at the Belly Up, this great church, temple, shrine, Mecca in Solana Beach. And it's just an over-the-top concert. And he's just playing all night long. And every time he left the stage, the crowd just started chanting, one more, one more. And he just kept coming back. Don't tell me you back. left. You didn't and leave. So, no, I didn't leave. I was just exhausted. And so the show is over. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm sitting. I'm leaning like up against the stage. It's a very small church. And, and, and I'm leaning up against the stage just trying to catch my breath because, man, I had been going flying high all night long. And everybody's leaving. And this fine gentleman comes up to me and says, hey, Bill, I'm the drummer of this band. Would you like to come back and say hi to Jimmy? And I looked at him and I just said, oh, man, I'm so tired. I got a whole bunch of people with me here and they all got to work tomorrow morning. So I think I better pass this time. That's a tough and one. It was, it was as egregious a mistake as I've ever made in my life. One more, one more, but he hasn't come back since. And, and you know, I check the, his website every day and, 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 he, and there's no tour dates at all. And we're looking forward to Neil Young announcing some tour dates soon. He hasn't played since the start of the pandemic. And everybody's starting to open up right now. And it's a, a full speed ahead with all the tours coming up and all the big sporting events. And we are just rolling, roll away the do. Here we go. There's some chance that some references will be dated when this Bill Walton uh, performance comes on the podcast, wherever you get once, your podcast. Once we go off the air, it's all dated because then everything will change again. That's and like so every cool. time, every time I, every time I log off, that's when all the good stuff comes. So maybe we just stay logged on and connected forever. I like that. I, I just like the record to be clear. This is May 31st, 2022. We don't know when you're listening to it. And here's a very key thing. We're also recording the video just in case they want to put out some clips. Oh, and, and scary, scary. I Bill's, shaved. I put on the reason shirt. why Bill keeps talking about the, Here we go. This is both an interview and a sales pitch, okay? And I'm going to explain better the sales pitch in a second. Bill has a back screen behind him with all these Western ranges, and that's why he keeps making these references. He's not – he hasn't lost touch with it. It, it. There's a reference. You have to know that behind him are these mountains. So. But we Bill, haven't even I, got to Death Valley. We haven't oh, even we'll got talk to about Great it. Basin National Park. <laughs> we fine. haven't even got to – Area 51. 
Oh my gosh, yes. And then we haven't even got to Red Rock National we'll Recreation Area right outside of Las Vegas. But here's the deal. We can journey there together with this idea. I'm going to put it out to the universe and to Bill Walton. It's so good. I love it's taking called, trips. Are you ready? I this the show I'm trying to develop with you is called going? How High. And it's a tour of Western mountain ranges in cartoon form. And then we just talk just as we have been. And that's all we're asking for. That's all you have to do is talk I, to me I, about. I was there rings. flying over it. You can, just you as can I land, that. just as I landed here, and to see the Bonneville Salt Flats, and to see the Wasatch Mountains, and to see Dinosaur National Park, and to see Flaming Gorge. Oh my gosh! And then this Dylan tour is going to go to all these places again, and it's just fantastic. And the Grateful Dead tour will be all over stadiums, arenas, big. Big amphitheaters, big time tours coming up right now. Yeah, we're on our way. You already imagine that you're flying over the Western mountain ranges. It would be so right. easy to sit you down on a Zoom, record you as though you're on top of the mountains. And it's then we make not easy to sit me down. I, I, I don't like to sit down. And, and for one reason is that I've spent half my adult life in the hospital uh, with all the uh, orthopedic injuries yeah. that I've had. And when you were talking about your daughter having the foot problem, and I was just no, so that's mad. me, me with the foot problem. You have the foot problem. I got still a foot problem. The daughter was just a good passer. That was how can how can Kenny Maine have any problems, man? You're Kenny well, Maine, man. You got that well. twinkle. You got that curl of the lip. You got the brain. You got the sounds like we're going to make ability. that cartoon. You can have just the ability stipulate? to think on stage. Okay, here's something. Okay. I that's a fact. I am when I, I love being in a room and reacting to what they're asking for hopefully they that you deliver there are times where i've done shows i was okay but they're all drinking in the back and you know didn't listen yeah i i always have trouble figuring out what the question is yeah we don't have to have questions we just have to have thoughts here's a thought you brought it up i wasn't, thoughts, I wasn't how much I, thoughts how much i love kenny main thoughts how much i love my wife i'm super lucky i'm madly in love with Lori, the greatest that's a good ever. thing and she prepared a meal for you guys that night here at the She house. had a banquet card. Oh. She had a banquet card of food. She rolled it out. She brings me coffee. She brings me tea. She brings me every darn thing I need except the jailhouse keys. Let's go. Don't ease me in. I'm ready for this tour to start. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're going to talk so much music. Just fly over the mountains. We are going to talk basketball and music. Okay, I, I just see I, I see Lake Tahoe over there. Good Lake. And I, and I see Crater Lake, and I see Mount Shasta, and we're hoping and praying for rain. We just need – we're de just devastatingly short of water. Oh, out here, look at man. what's so, happening at Lake Mead. Uh, um, I don't want to bring you down, but you, you did bring it up, the injuries. Do you ever, ever, ever say – man, I regret taking that basketball journey because look what it did to me. Or do you always appreciate the game and you, you were able to kind of look at it in context? I love basketball and I love sport and I love life and I love being alive. 
And there's a lot of things that I would do totally different because I'm a completely different person today than I was when I started playing basketball 61 years ago. But I'm the luckiest dude in the world. And I got to be a part of things that were really, really special with people who have remained my friends. And so when I drive now to to the doctor's office, when I drive to the airport, I can call my friends and some of them even pick up the phone and we can just uh, laugh and talk and and, and joke and reminisce. But more more importantly, we we talk about what are we going to do about tomorrow and what are we going to do in terms of making this world a better place so that the people who are coming after us have this opportunity to enjoy, to celebrate, to be a part of something that's bigger than just their own little solitary individual life because that's the life that I had was expanded, was developed, was growing constantly. I mean, it was like being in a greenhouse all the time. It's like being in, on the uh, on the Hana Highway where the plants, you can watch the plants grow as you ride your bike by them. And, they're, and, and when you're on the way back, when you're coming back from Hana, and it, they're two feet bigger than they were just an hour or so before because they're growing so much. And that is the life that I've been able to live because of the sacrifice, the discipline, the honor, and the willingness to go for it all that so many people have done in advance of me even getting to this stage right here on the Kenny Main podcast. And I've just finished some incredible books. Uh, I'll start with The Cap. Uh, Joshua Mendelson, who's a labor lawyer, who just wrote this book about how Larry Fleischer and David Stern built the modern NBA. Fantastic history going up until the mid-80s when those two guys came to agreement, which has built the financial empire, which is about to explode upwards again. I mean, what the business of the NBA is like a volcano. It just keeps blowing up and building ever higher levels of platform and wealth and opportunity for so many more people. Then I just read Lee Montville's Tall Men Short Shorts, which is the recap of when Lee, who I know well, went from my days in Boston and just from being out there all the time, Lee wrote this book about the beginning of his media career. When he, growing up in Connecticut, And he got hired by the Boston Globe. And basically his first assignment was to cover the 1969 NBA Finals, which just happened to be Bill Russell and Sam Jones' swan song, the very last time they ever played basketball. And they were playing against the Lakers, who had just acquired Wilt. They already had Elgin and Jerry. And they had just a phenomenal Jack Kent Cook. And the stories, the sidebars, the history, the way Lee put it all out, Right now, I'm in, I'm in the closing stages of The Wizard of Odds, O-D-D-S, which is a book by Charlie Rosen, a longtime friend. Uh, Charlie wrote this book about, uh, you know, about Jack Molinas and, and, and what his impact and just the, the devastating history of, of all of that world and scene, which is not a world and scene that I live in. But man, I have learned so much. And I, I love reading. Because and, I know and I've watched some great movies lately. I watched On the Map just the other night. I watched this new movie that's kind of still in production about Raymond Lewis and this remarkable story that he had in the journey. And, and that's what I love so much about the storytelling capabilities of someone like you, 
Kenny Bain, who's able to pull it all together, make sense of it all, and then deliver it perfectly and flawlessly. And that, again, is the antithesis of me, because I'm a lifelong stutterer. And I can't, I can't think and talk at the same time. Oh, you've done pretty well. You filled. You're, you're what they call in the radio business. He can fill, right? <laughs> you need to fill about eight minutes. Just see him up. You answered just now a question that I wanted to get. The one question I wanted to get out. There are a bunch of people. Wait, wait. Who, before you do that, sure. I've got to finish that, man. Because okay, what what you just said about filling, they're yelling me. At, they're yelling at me in my ear to wrap it up before I even get started, and so. You have that ability. There's a number of other guys. You're not alone, but there's some guys whose brain and whose mouth and whose heart and soul and spirit are all in perfect sync and harmony. Now, Bob Costas is like that. Mike Tirico is like that. Mike Greenberg is like that. And Dick Enberg was like that to, to an extent, but the ability to extrapolate, to explore, to, to go out on the edge. Grateful Dead are like that. And they, but with the Grateful Dead, they've got six people, six people who are all kind of keeping it going. And then and when it gets really beyond the edge, and then uh, Bill Kreutzmann will just be, he'll be jamming away, man, with the lead drummer, and, he, and all of a sudden just a snap. He'll snap and bring it all back to one, and then it starts all over again. We need just, him right now. So I can get this question out. Okay. What, what was your, you had a question? Okay. A lot of people who see you or will hear this or see you do basketball or whatever, their takeaway is he must be really high. And I always say, maybe that's true or untrue. What's really true is he's really smart. You just were talking about all the book reading you do and you love to consume knowledge and then you just spit it all back out in your own form. But you're a very well-read, deep-thinking person it comes out like you're high and flying above the Western mountains. I'm, I'm high on life and I love being alive. There wasn't that way 13, 14 years ago when my spine failed and I spent four and a half years on the ground mm -hmm. I was going to kill myself, man. But now I'm all better. And so when, when you come back from something like that, your life is never the same again. And one of the things uh, you know, we, we talked about gratitude earlier. Now I'm just talking about loyalty. And one of the things that, that, that I really believe in, try to live by, is that concept of loyalty, which John Wooden in his Pyramid of Success, but right in the middle is the foundational block on the bottom tier, right? And loyalty. Do we care? Does any of this stuff matter to me? <laughs> when I'm involved in something, it does matter. And I do care. And I'm going to give it everything I have. So I've been training for this podcast uh, for a long, time. long time. I've been waiting. I've been, I, I've been dreaming about that you might call and that we might well, be able to connect. We called a few times. Uh, we had to pin you down. Had, show. You were busy. I've been so, waiting. Man. I've been waiting here's for something. this moment. And so I'm not going here's to sit something. here. I'm not going to sit here and waste my time, man. I'm going to try no. to be. I'm going to try to be part of something special and try to Let me get a try to find that edge, and okay. try to and, and, and try to absorb the flesh eating low end that is coming right through this computer screen, right right towards me, and it's going to heal me. 
and it's going to inspire me, and it's going to set me on fire, and it's going to enable me to reach heights that I've never been able to reach before. Because when I'm when when I'm with someone like you, I'm challenged. I'm challenged mentally, spiritually, socially, politically, environmentally. I'm I'm challenged in every aspect of my life, and that's what I like. I, I I like being on the edge. I like pressure. I like responsibility. I like deadlines, and I like a heavy heavy load, man. And then I like to have the music going, but I do turn it off when I come on the air with. That's right, Kenny. We heard it before. Can Can I say here's something? I think encapsulates both your joy and your gratitude. And I'm so happy that you have this outlet because you described the injuries, bicycles, bicycling, cycling, right? You've got a smile on your face just hearing cycling. The freedom it's presented. I love my bike and my bike is my gym, my church and my wheelchair all in one. And my bike allows me to do things that I cannot do by myself. I can't get from here to there without my bike. And when I need inspiration, when I need to be healed, I know there's two places that I can always go to get it. I go out on my bike. I'm not riding right now, dealing with some challenges, health challenges right now with my foot. But then I also go into the weight room. I could, fortunately, I'm still able to get to the weight room. But I go in that weight room and I turn on on my streaming service. I'm a streamer. I'm a streamer and I'm a dreamer and I'm not the only one. So here it was, I was, uh, you know, I'm a streamer. So I watched the, the replays of the Tour de France, the replays of the Vuelta and the replays of all the monuments and the classics. And it's just so fantastic because the broadcasters are great, but the athletes who are racing their bicycles, I mean, the greatest and the toughest athletes I have ever witnessed, what they do day after day. And I'm watching yesterday, stage 11, 2021, Tour de France, double ascent of Mont Ventoux. Incredible. And Julian Alaphilippe, he takes off and dominates the early going. And then they get onto the second climb. And Tade Pagaccia is right in his perfect position, as he always is, as the, as the world's greatest rider today. And then, you know, on, with, with 10K to go on the climb, on the second ascent of Mont Ventoux, Wout Van Aert, that guy just takes off and drops everybody, man. And then it was just over. He goes over the top, and he's just soaring down. And I was just dreaming about, oh, my gosh. And then, you know, if I could only do something like that. And then after Wout went over the top and, and a couple of the guys from uh, Trek Sega Frego went over, Alessandre, and then I forget the other guy's name. Oh, yeah, Balkan uh, Malama and so something like that. And so you know, my, my English is, he knows who anyway. Is. And so, so now they got the GC contenders there on the second ascent, you know, and they're, you know, they're back away from the breakaway and they're dropping off one by one by one. And then uh, Tade takes control as he always does. And, he and always this inspired has. you. You're trying to say watching this made you want oh to cycle. My God. And then and this young joy. guy, Vingago, Vingegaard, yeah, this one guy from Denmark, he just takes off and he drops Tade, which is like unheard of. It's never happened before in Tade's career. And so and it was just fantastic. I just couldn't believe how lucky I was to be able to witness that 
on a replay from a year ago. And now with the criterion de Dauphiné coming up real soon, that's going to be a week basically in the French Alps and the Southern French Alps uh, as a, as a, prelude to what's going to happen with the Tour de France. And it's just going to be spectacular. And, and to be able to watch that and be part of that and learn from that. And, and uh, hopefully one day again, I'll be able to ride my bike again. So let's I go. Like that. I love my bike. My wife, Gretchen, you met her at the dinner a yeah. year ago. Yeah. She, She's fantastic. Wait, is she on this show today or not? No, but she made up the name of it. It's called Hey Main. What's it's it called? Hey Main. And then hey in parentheses, no. parenthetically, the Kenny Main Talks to Famous People podcast. It's very, it's just very literal. This is what we're doing. So she was a big deadhead, still is. And she used to go to dead concerts, make cheese sandwiches, sell them, raise money, buy a ticket. That's how into it she was. Right. Well, it's, it's something very special. And as a, I'm 69 years old and I'm often asked to mentor young people coming up and one of the first elements out of my mouth is when I trying to convince these guys that, that the effort to get to tomorrow is worth it. One of the things that's in my life, and I encourage other people to find this as well, is something that's really special that you love to do as part of a community, a big community. And deadheads, I'm a deadhead. We are everyone. We are everywhere. And with the tour coming up, man, just... Just the vibes coming in, the, the air coming up underneath our wings as we're just going to be soaring. We'll start at Dodger Stadium there, man. Dream about uh, you know all the different great players that have come through there. And then we'll go up to Shoreline for a couple of shows. Yeah, let's rock. Because Shoreline was the answer. Shoreline was the solution when all the, all the venues and all the powers that be said, no more Grateful Dead. You guys are having too much fun. You're smiling too much, even when it's a cloudy day. So no more Grateful Dead. And so Bill Graham and Jerry and Bob and Phil and Mickey and BK and whoever was playing the piano at the time, I can't remember what exact year it happened, but they all got together and said, you know what? They're not going to let us play at these arenas, at these stadiums, at these amphitheaters. Let's just build our own. And so they built Shoreline and it's just fantastic. And they used to have I did a, not know that. And they used to have the basket. They used to have a basket, a hoop out in the backstage, you know, ping pong tables, foosball tables and everything. But, we, you know, we'd be out there playing basketball before the throw show. Throw it down, time. big man. Well, throw it down. You just time, throw it down. Give me, you used to go the, the all time, your all time period for me, like loving how you did is like, throw it down, big man. And then, Larry Johnson, work on your game. Have some pride. And I love Larry Johnson. You just didn't like him that day is what I hope. Well, I just, you know, you I, know I, I just try to tell the truth. That way I never have to remember a story. And, you know, That's good. I like this. The, the last song I played driving into this interview we're doing was Tom Petty, Wildflowers. I want to talk about more than just the dead because dead we know wow, so tom petty man, we were paper. there we know you love the dead we were on the tom petty tour man we were at the berkeley greek theater he was telling me he was doing two shows and and he did the first one and it was fantastic and then we were having dinner before the second one right there in berkeley just you know because in berkeley you get up there you stay at the hotel on shattuck 
street and then you walk everywhere it's fantastic and the campus is so beautiful with the big orb and strawberry creek and the campanile and Seder gate and everything sproul plaza just the history of the world right and then the back side of it all is the greek theater so we're, we're having dinner there right on the edge there of, of, of berkeley and uh you know and the dividing line between the campus and the community which is a a, a very fluid <laughs> dividing line and uh, the news came over that the concert was going to be canceled and Tom wasn't feeling well. And then we were just very, 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 very sad. And so he was able to recover and he was able to start up again, but he was not able to make it last. And uh, then not, not too much longer after that, we were down at the, uh, gosh, what's the name of the place? Uh, the Self-Realization Fellowship Center down at the western edge of uh, civilization where Sunset Boulevard comes into the mm -hmm. uh, ocean there. And they got this beautiful shrine. And it's just a peaceful and you know, right in the middle of the madness of Los Angeles and trees and a big lake and waterfalls and landscaping. And we're there. And I like to go to these places either right at the beginning of the day, be the first one in or be the last guy in to just get the peace and quiet and solitude that's so elusive in my life. And so we're sitting there and the guy that runs the place comes up and starts talking and uh, starts telling uh, uh, the end of the line there for Tom Petty. That was one of his favorite places too. And so it was uh, very, very spiritual, very memorable. And the way that Tom was able to just gather that momentum and just bring it all together and then to be part of the traveling Wilburys and all the different stuff that he was able to do and his relationship with Bob Dylan and George Harrison and so oh, many yeah. of my heroes out there. Just phenomenal. Do you like Pearl Jam? I'm friends. Yeah, Pearl Jam. I just went and saw him the other day, man. I wish I, I wish you were, I know you were going to, I didn't know you liked music, but uh, I'm just teasing you. I know you love music. I was supposed to go to Pearl Jam in Las Vegas. They had to cancel because of COVID. Right. And um, we went and saw Silk Sonic, which is Bruno Mars and Anderson Pock, and we were blown away. It was like old Motown. They had horns. They so, had everything. You know, the pandemic, it, it just, you know, it's terrible. I mean, it, it, we're selfish and we're greedy when we complain about all the things we missed from COVID because we're alive. And there's millions and millions of people who are not. And the, the undercounting of the people who have suffered from COVID is just staggering. Anyway, so Pearl Jam had, had to keep delaying their concert tour. And so we had had tickets for way, way, way back prior to the, More than prior two years. To the pandemic yeah. here in San Diego. And so they come back. And so we go. Lori and I go. It was just fantastic show. And then... And then during the show, you know, uh, uh, Eddie Vedder, who's from San Diego, or he's not from here, but he spent a he lot lived of time there, yeah. childhood, right? And, and he spent a lot of time here. And so he's telling stories the whole way through the concert about San Diego, how much he loves it. Because the concert's in San Diego, out yeah. of San Diego State University, and the big, beautiful basketball arena named for one of the Indian tribes, Viejas, and just fantastic. Yeah. And my mom went to San Diego State. She's class of 1947. She just passed away on January 8th. Our youngest son, he went to San Diego State. His name is Chris, and he's doing fantastic. Anyway, Eddie is telling all these stories, and then he breaks into a story about me. And there's, you know, there's 20,000 people there, and oh, cheering the and yelling, and then, and then 
Eddie says, Bill, stand up out there, put the spotlight on Bill. So I oh, stand up and they put the light on, the crowd cheers, and then he starts telling more stories. And then the show's over, and then we're waiting for the crowd to thin out. We're just kind of chilling out, trying to recoup, and you know, after this spectacular Pearl Jam show. And and then uh just like at the belly up with Jimmy Cliff, uh, somebody came up and said, Hey, Bill, Eddie, Eddie wanted you to have this. He had to run out. You know, all the COVID protocols that the artists have to follow all the time. Sure. They don't have the life of being able to go yeah. out because everything's riding on their health every single day. And so they handed me this beautiful case with a, with a, a handmade ukulele in it. Oh, wow. And on the back of it, Eddie wrote, thanks, Bill. We love you, Eddie Vedder. And then he, he handed the me best. a book. There was a book, too, that, you know, that Eddie wrote about how to play the ukulele and the songs to sing, what the ukulele means and everything. And so he, on, the, on the title page, he writes this beautiful hand-scripted letter, you know, from Eddie to Bill. And it's just, it's, and if I had known we were going to get here, I would have had it right here next to me, but it's in the, it's in the other room and it's, uh, it's, it's sitting right in, a, in an incredible place of honor uh, next to a lot of other fantastic memorabilia. Because Lori's been able to, Lori's been able to make uh, our house uh, very, very, you've been to our house. Yeah. Yes. I, you know, did you know there's a basketball connection to Pearl Jam's origin? Yeah, Mookie Blaylock. No, no, no. Well, besides that. So the other guys, Jeff. The world loves basketball. The world loves Mookie Blaylock. And of I, course. I, I was just a little sad. I was a sad when uh, when Mookie kind of turned down. Program. And, you know, when, when someone comes to one of the things about love, which is the most important aspect of life. I mean, one of the reasons I'm so happy all the time is I'm married to Lori. The greatest everything ever. I never thought I would be happy in love. But anyway, to be able to enjoy love, you don't just give it. You have to be able to receive it. And so here was this situation where I'm doing the NCAA tournament this past year. Uh, you know, with the big coronation of Coach K and everything, and just everything was you know being beautifully scripted and everything, and then. North Carolina came in and wrote the last chapter, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I'm talking to the Pearl Jam people about this show coming up in early May. And we're, in, we're in April already at the Final Four. And I come across this guy named Brady Manick, who is about the coolest looking dude in all of college basketball. Mm -hmm. And he plays for North Carolina. And so I was thinking, you know, Pearl Jam, Mookie Blaylock, some new band. Some new band is going to name themselves good name. Brady Manic. Brady Manic. Yeah. But can I, mean, I tell my Pearl Jam basketball story? It's, it's like, it's like, widespread, it's like widespread panic. Have you, I, do you know about widespread panic? That sounds good. Yeah, oh, we don't want that like to be a panic thing. Manic and Brady and, and Jimmy Herring and, and Brady Manic. Uh, yeah. Looks and Warren Haynes and all the different guys. Uh, I tell you, I'm the Wait, lawyer. I have to tell the story because it's a, it's a story of basketball, of music, of love, of connections. You, the you Pearl Jam learn, guys. You have to learn that as soon as I take a breath, just jump in. <laughs> yeah, I'm and just just stand pat for a second. Look at your mountains. So I'll Jeff soar Amen, for a Stone Gosser, that rising wind. They're trying to put an, a band together. They need a singer, and they send a tape down to somebody they know in San Diego. That guy's playing pickup basketball with Eddie Vedder that day. Plays the tape. Eddie Vedder writes some lyrics. He comes up to Seattle. 
they become Pearl Jam. Fantastic. The simple twist of fate. Yeah, and and basketball. I hear the ticking of the clock. How long must I wait for that simple twist of fate? People tell me it's a sin to know and feel too much within. Blame it on the simple twist of fate. And when Bob, Bob's already got the tour going right now, the never-ending world tour. That's amazing. Um, How old is he? 81. And then he's got a brand new center, a brand new Bob Dylan Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Two doors, two doors down from the Woody Guthrie Center. And I I just can't wait to get there. During the pandemic, you know, and they were, you know, putting everything together. They kept calling and saying, Bill, we want to give you a virtual tour, a virtual tour. And then it somehow just fell by the wayside. And and now it's open to the public. So now I just got to get to Tulsa. And but I've been soaring high above the western edges of North America here. I'm just so glad to see that that. The smarter people have come to the front and said, we're not going to build the pebble mine in Bristol Bay up there in Alaska. What are we thinking? Please. We need to, Uh, we need to conserve something at least. Um, We need to conserve a lot of things. Have you ever read the wizard and the prophet by Charles Mann? I will read it at your direction. Oh, phenomenal book. We're going to text afterward. I need another book from you. The one about Las Vegas. I forgot to get it. Yeah. The quiet Kingmaker of Las Vegas, Jack Sheehan wrote about the the story of Perry Thomas, which is a, a phenomenal story, man. Jack Sheehan, a, a conference of champions, a graduate, University of Oregon, and just a, a, a fantastic human being, like you, a spiritual force of nature, able to put the ideas together. But conference of champions rules, man. No truck stops here. Did you see, we all know about Woodstock, but did you see the documentary Summer of Soul by Questlove? If you haven't, you have to. So this is crazy because I never knew this. Talks about some history that wasn't shared with us. While Woodstock was happening, there was a festival also taking place in Harlem. A guy named Stevie Wonder out there on, you know, all the greats. And all this happened and the film kind of got lost or got stored or Questlove finds out about it and gets into it. And it's an amazing documentary. The appreciation for all music, which I know you, Foster, always... Uh, You'll love love this movie and the love, the way it was made and the story that it tells. So when I was in college at UCLA, 70 through 74, you know, the forum had just opened up and Los Angeles, just such an entertainment capital and headquarters and Mecca and just absolutely fantastic. The number of events we got to go to. And I I can't even count. It was an incalculable, immeasurable number of times that Stevie Wonder in those days was the opening act for either Bob right. Dylan or Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones, or you you name the band, and they were playing these huge shows at the Forum and everywhere. And an opening act would always be Stevie Wonder, and it That's would amazing. just be fantastic. Yeah, we love you, Stevie Wonder. You, you we're gonna his, here's his what we're ability do. to deliver his, his ability to deliver images that he cannot see. Oh, agreed. I mean, and he, I mean, and he speaks about is, colors even, right? Right. What, we're going to take, we're going to take favorite uh, color. one minute, Bill, we have to take a one minute break. Why? We're going to wrap up because you're going to get your ukulele for the big finish. It's at the other end of the house, man. Okay. Right don't get it. We'll just talk about, it. I have to use the restroom or I won't make it. I'm coming back. You just think about life. Just, if you want to keep talking, keep talking. I have to go to the restroom. Just fill time. Go. Huh? So here we are. 
still soaring. We haven't even made it to the Pacific Northwest yet. But now after visiting briefly Crater Lake, I'm gonna soar over to the Rogue River Valley. And I'm gonna find that Oregon coast with the Brandon Dunes and then move up a little bit to Coos Bay where Steve Prefontaine is from. And then Florence and all the sand dunes that make these locations that stimulate the mind that way that Ken Kesey was able to come in and find this area and find new levels of inspiration. And then all the valleys and the mountain ranges of Western Oregon. And then as we work our way and cross the coast range and come through the Willamette Valley, and as we're coming across that Willamette Valley, which used to be a big lake, Allison Lake, created by the Missoula floods from 13 to 15,000 years ago. I wasn't there, but I've learned about it over time. And so as I come across the dry flat bed of Allison Lake, and I look to the east and I see all the volcanoes and I see Mount Bachelor, I see Three Sisters, I see Mount Jefferson, I see Three Finger Jack, and I see Mount Hood and all the different volcanoes. And that was, then I move across the Columbia Gorge and go up to Mount St. Helens. And we were in San Francisco. No, we were in Portland. And it was May, May of 1980. And here we were uh, on tour with the Grateful Dead. It was a big outdoor concert. And it was May of 1980, and they and they they finally worked their way into fire on the mountain. And there had been rumblings, there had been earthquakes, there had been shakings, there had been warnings about Mount St. Helens. And they they go into fire on the mountain, long distance runner. What are you standing there for? Get up, get on, get out the door. And so, and while they were playing in fire on the mountain, Mount St. Helens blew up. Yeah, I just got back from the restroom, and uh, I guess I just joined Bill uh, in midstream talking about the explosion of Mount St. Helens. And things were never the same again. And so Jerry came on after a, a momentary pause later in the show and said, hey, man, the, the volcano up there just blew up during fire on the mountain. And there was a fire on the mountain. And so as we all tried to find a way to get to bed that night, always difficult to do. We got up early the next morning and we raced out to Troutdale, right there at the mouth of the Columbia Gorge there, where Columbia comes right roaring down through the gorge and the Cascades. We went to the private airport there and I had my hotel bill in my hand and I was waving it. And I was saying that we were scientists. We were scientists, we were uh, ecologists and we, had to, and we were insurance agents and we had to get up there and take atmospheric measurements of the of the uh, volcanic eruption there. And so the guys at the airport are looking at us and one of the guys said, okay, I'll fly you up there, let's go. And so there was four or five of us and we get in this airplane, little single engine plane and we had all the windows open and we fly right into the volcano, man. We're like there and I keep telling the guy to go lower and always said, no, we can't go lower. And I, and I waved the paper, my hotel bill in front of him. This is our authorization. This is our scientific paper and duty here to measure this and so we got down basically we could feel the heat coming up from this 
bubbling, gurgling cauldron of fire and earth and just everything changing, building the platforms for the future, right? And then about this time, man, they had scrambled some Air Force jets to get us out of there. And so these jets, they come flying in right at us and the guys on the radio just yelling at our, but what are you guys doing? They're all these kind of scientists, they're government scientists, they're insurance agents trying to figure out the casualty problems here. And so he said, well, you got to get out of here right now. So we turned around, went back to Troutdale Airport as fast as we could. That guy touched down. We jumped out of the plane, ran and got in our cars and left. <laughs> and they never got close to us, man. That's it was a stronger one of the story days. than me and a friend sneaking into an Oakland A's game for a dollar. I thought I had something, but that's a pretty good story. I love volcanoes. You touched on a couple things, uh, just tan tangentially, I think is the word. Um, the, the thing, things aren't well. The shootings, the oh, politics, terrible. all of it. What gives you hope? We've had a couple political podcasts. Let's just not get into the weeds on everything, but just what gives you hope that things are going to be okay? People like you and the fact that there are people out there who are willing to take to take a stand, whether it's Steve Kerr, whether it's Greg Popovich, whether it's the departed Muhammad Ali, whether what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is doing right now, what uh, so many different people are doing. But you know, we have to we have to take action. We can't just stand there and say this is fine, because we are we are heading in the wrong direction. And what's happened is that there's a significant percentage in our country that think that armed insurrection is fine. And it's not. That's not the way teams work. What happens with a team is that you have to have a leader. You have to have a leader who's able to illuminate the path forward, where we're going, why we're going there, how we're going to get there, what it's going to look like when we get there, and then that guy has to be able to pull the team together and it's it, it not limited to being a guy. It's just a human being, someone who's got a heart and a soul and a mind and a brain and the ability to deliver the message. And then it all comes together with, by having the leader, having the team, developing the culture that has value to it, a value that creates opportunity. And then the foundation, the foundation, which right now is shaky. And it's crumbling. But and a bunch of people are being informed by people who are telling them untrue things. And there's a machine to keep propagating that. The challenge to filter, the challenge to filter out the lies and the untruths. And that's the choice we face every day. It's one of the reasons why I listen to music constantly. And the songs and the messages and the words, which all have powerful meaning as to who we are and what we're doing and where we're going and why we're in this position, why we're standing in the breach at the fork in the road. And all the decisions that we have to make, every, every moment is that decision. And we have to be out in front. We, you know, you can't just say, oh, everything is fine and it'll work out. It's, you know, it's very much like taking control in a basketball game, very much like taking control of this show is that, you know, somebody has to say, I'll take care of this. Think of all the things you've seen, everything from the moon landing 
Vietnam, Watergate, Kennedy's, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. Your, your time at UCLA, your protest at the time, you kind of put yourself out there right against the war. Well, all the things have, like, do you ever just like, wow, I was in a movie. Like, all these things happened during my lifetime. It's still going on. And we're still fighting the age-old battles that we sometimes won before. But the other side, the forces of evil, you know, they're using our money against us. And so the, the power, the power of economics and the, the power of a movement and a group and a, and a society to work together. Yeah. And, and you can't, you can't just say, well, there's nothing I can do, you know, because this has nothing to do with size and strength. It, it's, ju it's just like, you know, how, what David Stern did with basketball. You know, David Stern, not a basketball player. David Stern's a businessman who has a conscience. David Stern, he, he used basketball to make this world better. Desmond Tutu and all the different people who live on the bright side of the road. And so, you know, our ability to make that choice, you know, where we're going, what are we going to do? And, 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 and then the participation, you know, to me, it's staggering. It's embarrassing our low turnout, our low amount Number of, of people who don't vote. Right. I, I just, I, I mean, I just don't get that. I mean, that's like being on a basketball team, coming to the game and saying, I'm not playing. And, you know, it, it does, this doesn't matter to me. It matters to me. And, you know, I, I'm coming to play. And, and when you look at what you look at the, the message that Kareem is putting out every sure. day is Substack and Kareem.substack.com. I mean, just brilliant stuff. And Kareem has taken his life and his career well beyond the platform of being as great a basketball player as has ever played. And he was by far the best player that I ever played against. I did not get to play against my hero, Bill Russell. I did not get to play against Wilt. But, uh, you know, in, in the evolution of, of basketball and how each generation continues to excel, develop, and build on the foundation of the past. And Kareem's book on the shoulders of giants about the Harlem Renaissance, they're just absolutely brilliant. And anyway, he is, uh, Kareem has put himself in the same position as John Wooden. Uh, John Wooden became more impactful after he stopped coaching, the, the number of people that he reached. And could influence, uh, yeah. And, and Kareem is in that same position. Agreed. Right and, as good as you were, does it ever blow you away when you think back, oh, I got to play against Kareem. I got to play against this guy. We got to travel. Like all the things you did for a kid that just joined a basketball team back at age 10 or whatever. Age 8, yeah, 1960. And it was fantastic. And my parents, zero interest in sports. You know, I, I found sports following my older brother, and then who, who had already met our coach. And our, you know, you, you, there are so many heroes in this world and you, it's, they're easy to find. You just got to go to the firehouses. You got to go to the schools. You got to go to the nonprofits around the world. You got to go to the, you know, the people who, who are concerned about, you know, what's going down and, and the direction that we're going in. 
And so I, I was super lucky. And then I found a lot of those people. I found my first coach, Rocky. I found Chick Hearn when I was nine years old. Uh, I found John Wooden when I was 10 or 11. And, and, and then, you know, I, and I got to go and live with all those people. And then I found the Grateful Dead when I was 15 and all the other musicians that we've talked about. It's an endless list because they're all still out there and they're all just still doing fantastic work. And so, you know, I, you'll never learn what you don't want to know. You can't even lose if you don't enter. Talk is cheap. Vision is true. I like Which that. side are you on? Yeah. Vision. One last question. That's one of my favorite songs. It's called Visions. Look it up from Inner Vision. You've mentioned all these nice stories about what music has meant in your life. And of course, you know all the dead. You know many others. You got a time with Eddie Vedder. You got a ukulele. You, you regret that you should have stayed late and met Jimmy Cliff. But that, yeah, oh my can't God! Change that. Never. Is don't ever one... turn down. If if that ever happens to you, don't turn that down. No. no matter how many people are waiting for you. Is there one other moment to end on? Like I can't believe I hung out with you know Paul McCartney. Somebody was no, it a night like that. That that's the way my life has been since I started. You know, I started uh, started from nothing. You know, my my dad was a social worker, an adult educator, and a music teacher greatest dad ever had no interest in sports had no interest in money my dad grew up in the central valley his parents were teachers public school administrators he went to cal and his days at cal were interrupted he fought on the ground in europe france and germany in world war ii came back never said a word about it but spent the rest of his life trying to convince people to get along my mom was our town's librarian and so here i was chasing this dream. And my parents, they just kept saying, just go, just whatever it is you want to do, just go for it all. And, you know, they, they were encouraging, they were nurturing, supportive, and they just, they, they expressed the importance of curiosity, of experimentation, of exploration. I never would have learned how to fly like a pterodactyl over the Rockies, over the Wasatch Mountains, over the Great Basin, over the Sierra, over Death Valley, over the, the Gold Coast, the Lost Coast up in Northern California, uh, over the lava fields of Central Oregon, over the Wallowa and Eagle Cap Wilderness Mountains of uh, Northeastern Oregon, and over the Palouse, and then the Cascades and Northern Cascades, and to be able to, to know Timothy Egan and all the things that he's been able to write. And, and all the different stories. And so it, it was just a part of my life. I mean, I started playing basketball against the NBA players when I was 14 years old. And so I knew I, I knew that was the life. My, my biggest challenge, yes, the injuries have slowed me down terribly, but uh, even more so was the fact that I couldn't speak. And I, I'm a lifelong stutterer and I couldn't express myself and I couldn't get my mouth to be able to tell the stories that you and Mike Tirico and Dick Enberg and Bob Costas tell so flawlessly. Now, Bob just called the other day and I was in the Midwest doing a, on, on a tour back there. And he said, Bill, I'm, you know, they're having a dinner for me in Newport beach. Will you, will you come to the dinner? I said, Bob, I'm in the middle of, I'm in the middle of Wisconsin. And when's the dinner? Tomorrow night, Bill. So I said, okay, well, I'll try. So I got up at, you know, 
four o'clock in the morning and, and went to the airport and got on a plane and flew all day. And then I had some meetings right when I got here in San Diego. And then I, you know, got in the car and drove up to Newport Beach. I went to this dinner and, you know, it was turned out to be this really big dinner and I had no idea. And then they wanted me to speak, right? But they had all these other guys. They had Fred Lynn, they had Jim Palmer, they had Doug DeSensei, they had Rod Carew, they had Janet Evans, they had Roy Firestone, Kareem shows up. And it was just a fantastic, fantastic evening. And to be able, and it, but it had a purpose to it. And, you know, I try to live a purpose-driven life. And the purpose was to raise money to provide opportunities through sports for people who were underserved and the level of inequality, the level of just, you know, the travesty of nonsense and absurdity that we have to deal with in our lives, just so that a young child can be on a team, be part of something so that somebody could have a dream, somebody could maybe listen to some music, listen to the Grateful Dead or listen to Bob Dylan and say, hey, man, I, I just saw the Bob Dylan's coming to town on a never-ending world tour. Or that uh, Pearl Jam was just here, man, let, let's go be a part of that. Or the Grateful Dead tour is starting up right now. Or be able to witness the the Criterion de Dauphinate is coming on. And then the Tour de France, which was- Celebrate which everything is kind of what you're getting at. Right, every, every day. Every did Bob Costas give, did Bob Costas give you a ukulele? Bob Costas gave me hope. Bob Costas gave me opportunity. He gave me purpose. Bob was there uh, uh, for me uh, early on in my broadcasting career. Uh, so kind, so nice, and uh, we did we did a lot of fun stuff together. And I, like with you, you know, he just lives on another level in terms of what goes on in his brain. And then what comes out of his mouth and his ability, he put on a show. Now I, uh, I do a lot of, uh, of, of public speaking in, uh, on the corporate speaking circuit. And, uh, and what Bob did that night uh, was just spectacular, man. His ability to, to, to weave all his stories into playing live video clips that, that he was able to capture from his career and then be able to play it out there. And, it, it, and, and he's just so seamless and so perfect because it, it, was a, it was a very nice, very fancy affair at a big hotel, Newport Beach there overlooking the ocean. It was just spectacular. And then Bob, you know, Bob, Bob who, who was not even the MC, but he would be jumping up and down and, and, and interjecting and, and trying to set the record straight all the time. And it was just so much fun. And Roy Firestone put on a great performance and Janet Evans, she spoke brilliantly about her career and what youth sports had meant to her. And then Kareem shows up and presents Bob with the trophy. And it, it was just a spectacular night. And there was a lot of money raised. And hopefully, hopefully some young child will be able to look up at what has been provided for him in terms of an opportunity and to be able to make something out of their life to make the difference as we move forward here. And hopefully that young child, like the rest of us, will realize the value and the importance of voting each and every time. I voted, I'm still soaring. Yeah, man, I'm seeing Puget Sound. I'm seeing Cortez Island up there, just north of the border in, the, in, you know, in British Columbia. Oh, I got some friends up there. Oh my gosh. I like your message of voting. I didn't want to end on Bob Costas. No offense to Bob Costas. Just seemed weird that 
and we end our show on Bob Costas. So I'm going to ask one last question, with no offense to Bob Costas, or that or Bob, that Bob will not take offense. We said all nice things about him. I, I had I had I learned so much from him. All the different things that we did over the course you know, of his incredible career. I feel like we heard a dog barking. The dog was barking occasionally in the background. And just to end this program, by the way, some of the music bleeds through the next room, and I was going to invite them in, but they weren't playing tonight. The dog we heard a few times in the background. That's fine. This is just a, a podcast. What do you think the dog was trying to say? Feed me. Feed me. We have the greatest dogs in the world. I want to be Lori's dog. Lori... Once the children left, were out on their own, going to college and building their own lives, creating their dreams. Lori took up raising service dogs and she raised eight service dogs. It's a two-year commitment with each dog. They get wow. placed. And then after 16 years of that, then uh, my spine failed and she had to stop raising the dog. She's still very, very involved. Uh, her current group is called Freedom Dogs. And more U.S. military personnel commit suicide than die in combat. And so what Lori's group, Freedom Dogs, does is that they provide all the money to raise the service dogs and to give the soldiers, men and women, who come back from the front and they are suffering terribly from PTSD and they can't make it in society. We don't provide the support and the, and the platforms and the programs to reintroduce them into a non-war environment. And so they end up committing suicide. They just can't deal with it. So what the dogs do as, as friend dogs and service dogs, they provide these service personnel a sense of responsibility, a sense of, okay, you know, it's not just me. I'm responsible for this dog. I'm responsible mm -hmm. for this team. I'm responsible for this family. I'm responsible for everything that's going to go down. I cannot just quit. I cannot look to suicide as a viable option. When you're sick, when you're up against it, suicide is a very clear path. Don't ever discount how clear that direction is. I've been there and I was going to commit suicide, but I had no hope. There was no reason for me. The purpose-driven life that I've tried to live was gone. I couldn't move. I was just in unbelievable, unrelenting, indescribable, burning pain 24-7. I could never turn it off. And so I was going to commit suicide, but now I'm all better. And that's the furthest thing from my life. And so I have a responsibility for because I got better. I've been healed. And I have to get out there and... and heal other people and, and and that work never ever ends and it, it won't end and it's just you know my heroes guys like i got a lot of heroes not just you you're you're at the top but you know guys like john you're you know, you're a young guy and you, you know you're just really getting started there you know and you're you're up front so i think i just think that i just think that we should have an upfront for life and just get Kenny Bain out there to give the speech and everything and yeah. just and deliver it all as to why, why we joined this group, you know? And so, but two of my heroes, Chick Hearn and John Wooden, they went on the front until the day they died. They never, they never stopped. 
And I'm 69 years old. And I, and that's my goal. I want to go all the way to the end to where I can't go anymore. And uh, as I soar, soar across and I, as I make the U-turn at Cortez Island and come back down over Victoria and then Port Angeles and I come down the Washington coast with, uh, and then down to the Columbia Bar and then all the Oregon coast and then the California coast and the Redwoods and everything, Julia Butterfly. Be sure and read The Overstory by Richard Powers. Oh my gosh, I love trees, I love plants, I love right. life, I love fresh air, I love cleanliness, oh, I love yeah. solar energy, wind energy, resource management, energy production and the future. Which side are you on? I'm on your Have side. Have you voted? I vote and I yeah. encourage voters. I support I fair fight. We support fair fight every month. That's giving others an equal opportunity in some of the states. You know, one, of the coolest things about Ken, one of the coolest things about Kenny Payne is those little uh, social media videos that you put out where you're, where you're kind of standing there and interviewing people who, who are not talking back. But so you, have that, you have that ability to create. I mean, it, it, you're like Stevie Wonder, that it's not about... It's not about the senses that you don't have. It's about stimulating the senses that you do have. And a lot of those, you know, when you were in the world of the Grateful Dead, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, and all these guys, Jackson Brown, Jimmy Cliff, John Fogarty, it's an endless list. We don't know how many senses that we do have. And that's why we need to keep going to the shows. And that's why we need to keep being out there all the time. I'm ready. The tour is about to blast off, and this pterodactyl is coming in for a Bill man. Walton, I'm glad you chose life, and I'm happy that I'm in your life, and I appreciate you doing this show. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I know Kenny Mayne, and he still picks up my call, and he allowed me to be on his show. Wow, what could be better? <laughs> Here we go. Shine on, heal Have on, fun with the dead. fly on, soar on, tour on, play on, ride on, carry on, live on. I like it. Thank you so much. You were tremendous. I love you, Kenny. You were tremendous. Thank you. Tell Gretchen hello. I will. See you soon. Bye now. Hey, Maine is a production of me, Kenny Maine, and Odyssey. Our senior producer is Paul Aspen. Our executive producer is Jody Avergan. And our executive producer for Odyssey is Lena Glazer. Social media support by Joey Capone. If you like our show, please rate us, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe.